Genesis chapter 7 says seven days, representing the, the seven years of the tribulation. A lot of times when the word days are used, they're interchangeable with years. When the Bible talks about the, the 77s in the book of Daniel, it's talking about 70 years of seven years. 490 years. It's talking about a time frame when the Lord has set up that time will be no more. Seven days or the tribulation from now I will reign all of my judgment down on the earth. Talking about the last battle. Talking about the last destruction that's going to come upon the earth. And I will wipe out all living. That happens in, Gen in Revelation chapter 19 when the Bible says the Lord comes back with his bride to do war with the beast and the antichrist and the false prophet. And guess who wins? I read the back of the book and I know, yes! Welcome to the Destined to Win podcast with pastor and teacher Tim Masters. Pastor Tim is the senior pastor of Victorious Life Christian Center in Flagstaff, Arizona. I'm Joe Harding, inviting you to join us for worship services Sunday mornings at 10 a.m. at the Flagstaff Middle School Complex. For more information on the ministries of Victorious Life Christian Centers or to make a donation, visit us online at vlccaz.org. That's vlccaz.org. Now with today's message, here's Pastor Tim Masters. Jump into your Bibles. We started last week to talk about the rapture. We got about a third of the way through the message, and I told you I just got too much to talk about, so I want to wrap it up tonight, or tonight, this morning. We talked about how Daniel chapter 9, the book of Joel, Ezekiel, Zechariah, I mean, all over from Genesis to Revelation, the Bible is filled with this common underlying theme that the age is going to end. The world's not going to end. The age is going to end. The Bible calls it the age of the Gentiles. The Bible calls it the church age. The Bible talks about the end of the age. In Matthew chapter 28, Jesus gave a profound declaration. It was not a suggestion. It was not a, if you feel like it. It was not a, let me, let me give you a little encouragement, and a little, little kick in the hind end. No, it was a command. Go into all the world and make the disciples. Of all nations... And then he closed with this statement. And behold, I will be with you always, even to the end of the age. Some of your translations will say end of the world, but it's actually talking about the end of the ecclesia, the end of the church age. We have read and we've looked at Daniel, we've looked at Thessalonians, we've looked at several different passages in Genesis and Revelation already. And the clarifying issue that I want to do out of this last two weeks is to help us understand, I believe biblically and unequivocally that the church age will end with a, a catastrophic event called the rapture. 
And I'm going to share with you biblically that that rapture is going to happen prior to the tribulation period. And I'm also going to spend a few minutes in your notes. Some of you probably have saw the word that I left in your notes called preterist. Preterist are the main reason the church is so confused about the rapture. Because preterists are a, are a wide group of very intelligent, very intellectual, very well-learned men and women of God. And I don't call them not Christian. I don't call them, uh, I just call them I'm trying to say it graciously. Deceived. Pastor, can you be deceived and still go to heaven? Yeah. Unless you go through too far with the deception. And we'll talk about that a little bit today too. But what the deception is, is that they try to historically and categorically conclude the end times with the, with the overthrow of Jerusalem in 70 AD with Emperor Titus. But we're going to look at it today and say there's no way that could have been because there's too much left undone that we are seeing done today. We talked about Enoch last week, and I want to take a few moments just to encapsulate that if I can because Enoch, through all biblical scholars that I know of that are preaching the word of God and propagating the gospel of Jesus Christ, they all believe that Enoch was the type of church in the Old Testament. Seven generations after Adam, Enoch walked on the earth. He lived to be hundreds of years old. And the Bible says that Enoch was walking with God one day. And we find it in your notes there in, in Genesis chapter 5. Enoch and God were walking hand in hand and just talking hand in hand. How cool is that? To have such a relationship with God that you're just walking down the street with him. You say, well, pastor, was God there physically? Well, I think it's like it was in the garden. The Bible says the voice of God came walking in the garden. God is a spirit, but God can manifest himself as he did with, with uh, Moses. Remember when Moses said, God, how can I tell them who you are? I mean, unless I see you. And what God say, no man can see me face to face unless he die. And God made a crag in the side of a cliff, and he stuffed Moses in it. Isn't God so cool? He makes a way where there is no way. And he said, Moses, you can't look at my face and live, boy. I'm sorry, that's that southern part coming out of me. You can't look at my face and live, but I tell you what, I'll put you in this little crag in the, the cliff. And when I walk by, you can take a glimpse of my hinder parts. And Moses looked at his hinder parts, and the Bible says when he came down off the mountain, his face radiated. The people made him, asked him, put a cloak on you. We can't even look at you anymore. If that was how good it was looking at the hinder parts, wait until that day happens and we see him face to face. Oh. Oh. Sorry, we're getting all excited. But Moses looked and he saw the train of God. He saw the, the cloak of God. He saw all that. Enoch knew God in such an intimate way that one day they're walking down the street and all of a sudden, God speaks to Enoch and says, Son, you're closer to my house than you are to your house. Why don't you just come home and spend the day with me? And Enoch says, Okay. And you know what? For thousands of years, Enoch's been spending the day with God. You know why? There is no night in heaven. 
And one day God's going to say, come up and spend the day with me. And he himself, his glory, his majesty, his brightness. But here's the catchphrase. Enoch was faithful. Genesis 5.24. Enoch is the picture of the church. The Bible tells us in, in Luke and in Matthew that life is going to be going on just like it is. And then all of a sudden, God's just going to say, come on home. A lot of people have said that passage in 2 Thessalonians 5 that says, let him that lets will let no more, and he'll be taken out of the way. The thing is talking about the Holy Spirit. Well, the Bible says very specifically that the only way to come to God is through the Son. And the only way you can come to the Son is if the Holy Spirit draws you. So it cannot be the Holy Spirit leaving the church, leaving the worth. Because, number one, if the Holy Spirit left the earth and left the church, then it would be a direct violation of God's word that says, I will never leave you and I will never forsake you. He said, I gave you the comforter, and the comforter will be with you until the end of the age. And God cannot lie. God cannot go back on his word. So many scholars think that the he that lets it let even though the, the church is referred to as the bride, it's in the representation of Enoch. The God said, come up. Let's spend the day together. Am I making sense today? But he says in Genesis chapter 6, verse 3, he says, my spirit will not abide with man forever. Let me take you to Genesis 7 real quick. Because we see the picture in miniature of the rapture, the tribulation period, and the days prior to and the days following it. Genesis chapter 7 says seven days, representing the the seven years of the tribulation. A lot of times when the word days are used, they're interchangeable with years. When the Bible talks about the the 77s in the book of Daniel, it's talking about 70 years of seven years. 490 years. It's talking about a time frame. When the Lord has set up that time will be no more. Seven days or the tribulation from now, I will rain all of my judgment down on the earth. Talking about the last battle. Talking about the last destruction that's going to come upon the earth. And I will wipe out all living. That happens in, in Revelation chapter 19 when the Bible says the Lord comes back with his bride to do war with the beast and the antichrist and the false prophet. And guess who wins? I read the back of the book and I know, yes! Oh, <clears throat> This may be an exciting morning. Are you all ready? Buckle up. Put your hands and feet inside. It could be an exciting ride. I will cause rain. I will wipe out all things on the earth that I have created. Listen to what it says. But Noah did all the Lord commanded him. What was the Lord's command to Noah? Build a boat. What was the boat? The plan of salvation to deliver him. From the tribulation that was going to come upon the earth. Noah was faithful and accepted the plan, abode in the plan, and lived out the plan. He got on board the boat to escape, which brothers and sisters, when he walked on and closed that door, God says, come on rain, come on the the, the pools of the deep, and fill this place. And the rapture of Noah and his family happened. Taken, listen, alive from the earth 
just like Enoch, to escape the flood, which is the picture of the tribulation period, just as God commanded. We talked last week how Enoch was the picture of the church and that he was born on the sixth day of Sivan, which is the Hebrew calendar, and that tradition outlines that he was taken on his birthday, which would be the sixth day. In modern days, the sixth day of Sivan is the day that we and I know as the day of Pentecost, which literally means Pentecost means 50 days after the ascension, which was the birthday of the church. Look at the picture. Enoch's the church, born on the sixth day of Sivan, taken from the earth on the sixth day of Sivan. The church was born on the sixth day of Sivan. The picture of the church birthed and taken as Enoch was the very first one to talk about that day and that hour. In today's world, we've got a lot of false teaching. Let's jump into the word of God in Jude chapter 3, or Jude 3, it's only one chapter. Jude, the brother of Jesus, was eagerly looking to write about the common salvation. But he said, I found that it's time that I need to write something else. I need to start defending the faith of God that was once entrusted to all of his people. I say this because, he goes on to say, ungodly people have wormed their way into the churches saying that God's marvelous grace allows us to live immoral lives allows us to live the life that we want to live contrary to what God's word says. He goes on to say, but I want to to remind you that Jesus first rescued the nation of Israel from Egypt and then later destroyed those who did not remain faithful. Those that said praise the Lord but didn't want to live for God because there are some struggles, folks. Anybody look around and notice that living for Christ isn't the easiest thing to do? Amen. And this is referring to the 40 years they spent in the wilderness and the fact that only Joshua and Caleb entered into the promised land. And I remind you, he goes on to say, that the angels who did not stay within the limits of their authority as I had created them, the Bible says God gave them, uh, that God gave them, but they left the place where they belonged, and God now has kept them securely chained in prisons of darkness, waiting for the great day of judgment. The Bible talks about a hideous beast that is going to be loosed from its chains out of the bowels of the earth. It's going to be called a great locust. And I've not got time to get into that this morning. But it's going to have the face of a man. It's going to have the tail of a scorpion. It's going to have the wings that thunder. That it's going to sting people with a torment of great plague that comes upon them that they're going to wish they were dead and they couldn't be. They won't die. This hideous beast, if you go back and read people like Finnis Dake and, and some of the other uh, theologians from years gone by, they believe that that hideous beast or those beasts that are coming are going to be some of these angels that left their first estate that God has reserved in chains of darkness. Listen to this. 
waiting for the great tribulation. That's what the word day of judgment means. Then he goes on and says, don't forget Sodom and Gomorrah. Their neighboring towns, filled with immorality, every kind of sexual perversion. No, it wasn't the sin of inhospitality that destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah. It was sexual perversion that destroyed those cities. And they serve, listen to this, as a warning of the eternal fire and God's judgment. Enoch, the seventh generation from Adam, prophesied about these people. Years and years and years before it ever happened. And now he's prophesying about the last days at the same time. It says, remember the Lord, Jesus said, in the last times, scoffers, whose whole purpose is to live, to satisfy their own ungodly desires, these people are the ones who are creating divisions among you. Look at me, church. If God's word says don't do it, don't do it. Well, you know, it's acceptable in the church. Then you better get out of that church. If God's word says don't do it, don't do it. See, that's what's happening is these, is these, these theologians, these people of high learning have came into the church and said, well, God understands. Let me give you some titles. The Emerging Church, which is sweeping America. The Emergent Church, which is sweeping America. The Seeker-Sensitive Church, which is... Oh, man, I'm getting people upset now, I can tell. That is sweeping America. The non-confrontive gospel. Unconditional reconciliation. It is all birthed into. And let me use the term that is now sweeping the church itself. It's called liberated Christianity. Liberated from what? That mean old bad God. Ten commandments. He just wants to ruin my fun. I didn't get one amen out of that. Oh, man. You know why God tells you? The intimacy is for a marriage. If we would have kept intimacy in a marriage, we would not have the number one country in the world with STDs destroying people left and right. Do you, there's a, I'm not going to say it because we're in a mixed crowd, but there's a disease called, it starts with a G, and you can whisper back and forth. I can't say it lest I offend. But gonorrhea is now one of the worst diseases in America. And you know how it's spread? Promiscuity. Because when you do those kind of things, guess what? You don't know how far down the line it goes. Is it okay to preach like this? Good. It's always nice, Andrew, to ask permission. You go do it anyway, but it makes them feel better if you... You never know how far the line the germ goes. Do you know why God says don't commit adultery? Do you know why God says don't commit fornication? Because it could kill you. God's not a spoiled sport. Let me go back to Enoch before I go off track here. Let's look at the order of things here. Enoch walked faithfully to God. God said my spirit won't abide with man all the time. He took 
Lot, he took Noah, he took Enoch out of the world before the struggles came. Here's the picture. First, Enoch was taken alive from the earth. Then the Holy Spirit was left as a drawing, as a covering, uh, disallowing total chaos, but allowing man's behavior to become unbearably wicked. And then Genesis 6 says that judgment came in Genesis chapter 7. And so as it was in the days of Noah, so shall it be in the days of the Lord's return. When is the church, number two, last mentioned in Scripture? How many remember the sounds that we've been hearing? We, we had a videotape that we showed a few weeks ago. How many have been look, going out on the websites and listening to some of these kind of interesting things? How many think they're kind of cool? I mean, it sounds like trumpets. It sounds like horns. It sounds like mariner horns. It sounds like all kinds of interesting things. Behold, I stand at the door and knock, Revelation 3.20 says. If anyone listen, hears, listen, and listens. How many know a lot of people hear the preaching of the word, but they don't listen to it? You say, Pastor, how do you know if they listen to it? They start doing it. If anyone hears and listens and heeds to my voice and opens that door, I will come into him. There's a picture there of salvation. There's a picture there of being raptured out of the world. He said, I will... Eat with him, he will eat with me. Listen to this in your notes. He who overcomes is victorious. He who overcomes. You see, to come over, you got to overcome. He who overcomes, that person is victorious. How many have gone through any problems? Not trick question, okay? If you overcome that problem, you're called victorious. If you don't, he says, I will grant him to sit beside me on the throne as myself overcame, as Jesus himself overcome, came and was victorious and sat down beside his father. He who is able to hear, let him hit, listen and heed to what the Lord is saying to the churches. And then let's go into the fourth verse. Listen to what he says. And after this, I looked, behold, a door standing open in heaven. You know what Jesus is called in Scripture? The door of hope. He said, I saw a door opened in heaven, and a voice I heard addressing me. Look what it says. The voice sounds like a war trumpet. And it said, come up here. I will show you what must take place in the future. Jesus is literally saying, come up, let me show you the future that you have been delivered from. When you read Genesis chapter 4, you don't hear anything about the church again until Revelation, or excuse me, Revelation chapter 4, you hear nothing about the church again until Revelation chapter 19. You know what happens in Revelation chapter 19? Jesus comes back with his bride to do the battle of Armageddon. What happened to the church? What happened to the church? Let me give you the picture of the ceremonial bride, the ceremonial wedding, Jewish style. In Luke chapter 12, <clears throat> verse 36, 
The Bible says that Jesus, that when Jesus returns, he will be returning from a wedding. In Jewish tradition, they don't do weddings like we do here in America. We have the party, we have, we have, or excuse me, we have the wedding, we have all of that kind of stuff, and then we have the party afterwards. Well, in Jewish tradition, they do the party first. And then the wedding comes. They have the celebration. So let me break it down to you. In Luke chapter 12, talks about Jesus. He is returning. The bridegroom is returning from a wedding. Revelation chapter 19, we read about the marriage itself. In Jewish tradition, the marriage supper takes place. The celebration takes place before the marriage. So here's the picture. We have the marriage contract which often includes a dowry, is drawn up first, which is representing the act of faith. We have said, Lord Jesus, I believe you. Why do I believe you? Because you gave the dowry, which was the representation of his life. Grab a hold of this. This will set you free if you do. The representation of the dowry was his life. He said, Father, I'm going to give this myself for my bride. I am the dowry. Oh. And because he gave himself by faith, we entered into a covenant. Another name for a covenant is a contract. We entered into, we became at one with, through the atonement of the propitiation. I'm, Jesus became the propitiation. He became the atoning sacrifice. That word propitiation means the fulfilling sacrifice, enabling to pay the debt of transition, or excuse me, of trans, of transgression. Thank you. He became that. And he became because of being the propitiation, he is the atonement. That word atonement is just a fancy word. Let me break it into three parts. At one meant, or at one with. Because he paid for the transgression of our sins, he put us back at one with God. Yeah. Paying the price, fulfilling the contract. And by faith, we enter in. Jesus was the dowry purchased for us that when it's time for the wedding, listen to this, in Jewish custom, the bride doesn't know he's coming. He shows up unannounced. The bridegroom's coming for his wife without spot, without wrinkle, without blemish, without any such thing. He comes unannounced. I said, baby, here I am. <laughs> okay, not quite like that, but okay. But I don't know about you folks, when I see Jesus, he's going to be looking pretty good. No blemish, no scars. Oh, he's going to have scars. But the Bible says he's going to be in a white robe, dripped with the sash of the blood of the lamb. that says, King of kings and Lord of lords, with a crown on his head, riding. Ain't going to be no white donkey this time. He riding a white horse. The white donkey was a picture of humility, the, the suffering servant. But this time, he's prancing in, oh, on a white steed, because I'm a conquering king. Yeah. 
I told you this is going to be a fun ride. At least it is for me. Hopefully it is for you. Sounds to me like a pre-tribulation scenario, unannounced for a bride looking for him. Look, look at me. Look, 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 look. If you're playing games with God, if you're playing in sin, if you're living a, a quasi-life and you ain't looking for him, he ain't be looking for you. Oh, that's, that's sad to swallow, folks. Oh, that's not the loving God. Well, is that the loving child? I mean, I don't know about you. If I love my, my wife and I don't be showing up at home, she's going to be wondering how this guy loving her. I tell people all the time, Pastor, what do I have to do to get God to come to my house? I said, have you been to his house lately? No. Okay. Just throwing that out there. It wasn't part of my notes. That was free. But it sounds like he's coming unannounced, a pre-tribulation. The groom, who is Jesus, it's in your notes, folks, comes down from heaven and calls his bride. She doesn't even know he's there yet. He calls his bride, who is the church, and listen to this. What does the groom do? Immediately, he takes the bride to his father's house. Immediately, he takes the bride to his father's house where the marriage supper of the Lamb is going to take place. While the tribulation's happening here, we have a dinner there. Chances are it will be chicken. Inside joke, folks. The marriage supper is happening up there while the tribulation is happening there. Here. Now listen to me. I'm taking you to Revelation 19. After the marriage supper, I'm giving you Jewish tradition. I'm giving you the biblical way it's going to happen. After the marriage supper. The bride and the groom is presented to the world. After the marriage supper, Jesus and his bride are coming back to earth. I say, folks, now you're going to see me. When the rapture happens, nobody's going to see him but those looking for him. Nobody. The second coming, Matthew 24 says, as lightning falls from the east, even unto the west, everyone is going to see him. And the Bible said the streets are going to be filled with people crying and screaming, trying to hide, praying that the rocks would fall on them because they cannot stand in the glory of the groom as he's coming with his bride to present himself to the earth without spot, without blemish. And the father will say, well done, thou good and faithful servant. Enter into the joy of the Lord. Can somebody say amen this morning? The Bible tells us always be ready. Yet we read over and over in Scripture in Matthew 24 and 2 Peter, that the evil servant says in his heart, the master delays his coming. 2 Peter, it says, where is the promise of his return? Ladies and gentlemen, that's inside the church. 
We become so slothful and lackadaisical and we become so complacent. You do not want to miss next week when I started talking about the apostate church and ask the question, are you? Are we? Always be ready. We don't know the day. We don't know the hour. That's why the Bible says the day of salvation is now the day of turning from our evil, wicked way is now the time to live holy and righteous is now in Matthew chapter 25. Listen to me and please listen to me with all of your heart. In Matthew 25, we find three different parables back to back. We find the parable of the gold coin. We find the parable of the prodigal son. We find the parable of the the fall of the uh, of the ten virgins and the ten stones uh, coins and what's the third one not the prodigal son something else there's three parables but i want to talk about the th- the ten virgins look at me they were half ready for the marriage the bible says their lamps were half full They knew they had to get their lives in order, but they decided to go out and just continue on the way they were. And they weren't ready. And the Bible says the bridegroom showed up unannounced and took the bride and left. Is your lamp half full? Because you're not really living for God. Is your lamp half full? Because you like the world too much and you're still playing in the world. Is your lamp half full? The foolish virgins were half ready and missed the wedding. Like the rapture, many will be going to church. Many will be saying the right things. But it's not the words. It's he who hears and listens and does the will of my Father. They'll be half ready and they'll miss out on the rapture. And they'll be like those crying outside of Noah's door. They'll be those crying when the trumpet sounds. How can we be sure that this day is coming? As I wrap this up this morning. In a moment, I'm going to show you a videotape of some of the horrific things that has transpired in just the last decade things that have never transpired in all of creation. Some well-known Bible teachers, and it's in your notes, and they're called preterists. I could name some of them, and it would blow your mind who they are. Say that all of this was fulfilled during the overthrow of Israel in 70 AD. Yet I have to ask, if the events described in the book of Revelation took place in the past, then how do we explain the current situation? You see, the Bible says, before the return of Israel, Jesus, Israel would become a nation again. Before the return. Israel hasn't hasn't been a nation for 2,800 years. Sixty years ago, what happened? 
became a nation again. Until mass transit, airplanes, supersonic transport, there could never be a world war. We've had two world wars, and many think that we're on the precipice of the third world war. But we have done wars all over the world. Global wars, the Bible talks about. Ezekiel talks about and Zechariah talks about flesh melting on a person while they're standing. Nuclear war is the only thing that can do that type of thing. They did not have nuclear war until 1948 when they dropped a bomb on Hiroshima. And that was not full-on nuclear war. I don't know about you, but I haven't heard any newscasts in the last 2,000 years about a third of the earth's trees being burned up or 100-pound hailstones dropping on the ground or the seas of the world turning to blood, which are all things that the Bible says will transpire after the rapture. How can we know for sure the rapture is going to happen? And if it is, that it will happen before the tribulation? Well, once again, I always like to go straight to the Bible. I think the Bible has pretty good answers. According to Revelation 19, when Jesus returns at the end of the tribulation, he will be coming for battle. We've already looked at the wedding supper, supper, the wedding supper and the ceremony Biblically, traditionally, ceremonially, according to Jewish tradition, which is how it will transpire, the idea of war and rapture occurring simultaneously is difficult to imagine, especially because the Bible gives a clarity of it being two complete different events. Let me take you into the very profound scriptures, 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. The Bible says that God has not appointed you and I to wrath. And when you look at it in context of the passage, the wrath that Paul is talking about is very specifically the end time tribulation. What wrath? Matthew 24, listen to what it says. And then there will be great tribulation on the earth, such has never been since the beginning of the world until this time. No, nor shall be. Put Revelation 3 up there, please. Look what it says. When Jesus wrote through John the apostle, actually just verse 10, there's another place further down. When Jesus gave the revelation to John the apostle, he wrote to, three, to seven churches. Many scholars believe they represent the seven church ages, yet every age or every church represents the church of today, though the last church, the church of Laodicea, represents the culmination of the churches who are turning away from God. As you read from, from the church of Ephesus all the way down to the church of Laodicea, you find that each church is getting steadily, 
steadily more infiltrated. But look what it says in Revelation chapter 3, verse 10. Because you have obeyed my command and persevered, I will protect you from the great time of testing that's going to come upon the whole earth. Because you have obeyed Revelation 3.10, because you have obeyed my command. Say, Pastor, how are we going to obey? Titus chapter 2 says it this way, for the grace of God has appeared that offers all salvation to all people. It teaches us to say no to ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly in this present age. What's the word of God teach us, brothers and sisters? Us to control our flesh. I go out messing around, guess what? I can't blame my wife. She goes out messing around, she can't blame me. All she can do is blame her own flesh. I get so irritated at people in the church that go out and blatantly do stupid things. Can I say that in church? If you get offended, i got a great preaching series for you. Go out and do stupid things and try to blame somebody else for it. And you know who ultimately gets in trouble? Me. Because I wasn't there to stop it. Because you have kept. Because you have persevered. Because you go through the things you go through for the name of Jesus. Titus 2, we were just looking at it, saying no to ungodliness and worldly passion. That's what the word of God, that's what the salvation of God teaches us to do. Say no to ungodliness, no to worldly. Pastor, it's not that easy. Yes, it is. He shed his blood at Calvary and paid it on the cross of Calvary and rose again from the grave and gave you and I the authority. Yes, it is that easy. When the church, which is the salt of the earth, is removed from the earth, the earth is going to plunge into spiritual darkness. When this happens, Revelation 13 says the Antichrist will be freed to have control of all the earth. In Revelation 7, the Bible says the angel of God will descend from earth and seal God's servants, the 144,000, 12,000 from every tribe of Israel, male Jews, virgins who have never been with women to touch the Jewish nation during the tribulation. Say, Pastor, aren't they there for the church? The church isn't here. The church is in heaven. You say, well, Pastor, do I want to know that I know the examples of Noah, the examples of Lot, the examples throughout the scripture of Enoch, the, the examples of multiple situations when the last days will be like, according to the Bible, Noah and Lot, both events had the removal of the righteous before the judgment fell. God removed Lot and his family and then judgment fell. God removed Noah and his family and then judgment fell.
You say, Pastor, what about us? Well, let's give you three scenarios that I just gave. Noah's flood. Noah was taken out and judgment fell. Lot's angels. Lot was taken out. The angels of God warned. Noah warned. And the judgment came. So, Pastor, what about us? That was Christ's Calvary. And judgment has been falling since. But there is a great and dreadful day coming that everything biblically has been fulfilled. And next week, as we look at it, you're going to see there really is nothing left to happen. You say, well, Pastor, okay, that's all great biblical. What about just show me some stuff normally? Okay, common sense is a good thing. Kind of uncommon these days, but we'll use it. You know, there are, I, I actually uh, did a study on this years ago. Somebody told me this, and I went and looked at it. I don't know if it's that way anymore because of political correctness, but years ago, there were certain airline companies that if you were a person that believed in the rapture, they would not even hire you as a pilot. Now, because of political correctness, it's probably not the same uh, anymore, but that's, they used to have this interview question, do you believe in the rapture? And if you answered yes, your chances of getting hired would not be good. The media will talk about sex, gays, drugs. But you know the only time they'll talk about the rapture? When somebody sets a date and it slaps them in the face. All groups, listen to this and go study it yourself. All groups that teach false doctrine are enamored by the end times. They're enamored by the judgments upon the earth. They're enamored by this. But let me ask you, why do none of them talk about the rapture but Christians? Do you think possibly that the demons influencing those groups know something that Christians opposed to the rapture do not know? And they don't want them to know? Finally, let's look at it from this perspective. If the Antichrist came to power and the church was still here there is no way that he could operate because we're going to know him. The Bible specifically gives us understanding the times, the signs, the seasons, all the different things. When Hitler was fighting the German, uh, when the Germans were fighting, Hitler was fighting England. The Bible, not the Bible, but it was recorded history. Christians in America and all over the world were praying for the failure of Germany. They had no reason in the natural to fail, but Hitler, mistake after mistake after mistake. And England outperformed him on every stage. They were not prepared. Chamberlain had them all put to sleep. Oh, Hitler's a good guy. All we got to do is make peace with him. All we got to do is negotiate with him. We need to do this in some kind of, of, some kind of talks. We can't measure the impact that prayer had. But it was God's people, I believe, that turned that war. Ladies and gentlemen, in Revelation 11, the Bible says two witnesses are going to give the Antichrist massive headaches. Can you imagine what it would be if the entire church that knew their Bibles were still on this earth? He'd not be able to do anything. I want you to look at a little clip. Do you have it up there, sis? Start the video, please. No man knows the day or hour. Horrific things happening in the world. Say, Pastor, 
I really don't like churches that preach this way. And folks, you'll never like this church because my job is not to make you comfortable. Never has been my job. My job is to preach the truth. His job is to set us free. Our job is to let him. The time of playing church is over. Over the last few weeks, we've been talking about the end times. How many with a raised hand can sit back and say, Pastor, I can see it is at the door. It is at the door. Next week, when I talk about the apostasy, the Antichrist, we're going to talk a little bit about the New World Order and about the Mark of the Beast. And you are going to be amazed. Pastor Tim Masters with this week's message on the Destined to Win podcast. Destined to Win is made possible with the prayerful and financial support of those destined to win. To donate online, visit VLCCAZ.org. That's VLCCAZ.org. Destined to Win is a production of Victorious Life Christian Center with services Sunday mornings at 10 at the Flagstaff Middle School Complex. I'm Joe Harding. For Pastor Tim Masters and the congregation at Victorious Life Christian Centers, you're invited to join us here next week for another edition of the Destined to Win podcast.